Hey folks, it's time for Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Transgojo Bot is on his way and programmed to save the day. But until he gets here, I'm Micah. And I'm Matsy. This is a show where we assign each other cartoons to watch and then come back and talk about them. This time we are unexpectedly, I would say, going through a little history of cartoons in a weird way. We got a we got one from the classic cinema days, we got something from the early days of computer animation, something from when people realized that any schlub can make cartoons on the internet, all the way to the present day where every schlub is making cartoons on the internet. But first, with such a heavy topic in mind as history of animation, Micah, it's up to you to say something that'll that'll hook the people and get them to listen to the whole episode. All eyes are on you, Micah. <laughs> oh, God. First thing, the first thing I was going to announce is the sad passing of Norm MacDonald, so that's a nice setup for that. Well, okay, yeah, that is heavy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I think it's a case where most people will think of him, you know, have, have a, a fond day. You know, people say that they want you to uh, celebrate on on their funeral and that kind of thing. I think yeah. people won't have any trouble doing that with Norm MacDonald because uh, he is a comedy icon. Um, mm-hmm. Not not best known for doing animation voices, but he did some, you know, uh, and probably best known for being Pigeon on Mike Tyson Mysteries. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I was informed by, by my girlfriend uh, when she saw it on her computer and uh, she was really broken up because... She knows how much I love Norm Macdonald. It's weird because he's okay. He's done a lot, right? He, he had done a lot of uh, yes. TV shows, stand up, and so on. But I think his most uh, his biggest skill was just being a crazy guest on talk shows and like morning shows, <laughs> radio shows. Conan, Conan O'Brien. Yeah, he did tons. He could of always. I saw him once make. Conan O'Brien, like, just stand up and walk in a circle to kind of try to compose himself. Oh, I think yeah. it was, it was, um, Norm Macdonald was like the first guest, but he was, his segment was done. And so he was sitting off to the side. The 90210 person, right? Maybe. Or not, not, uh, uh Melrose Place, the Melrose Place woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, she, I, I don't remember what she was, you know, maybe that was, but she was there, um, she was talking about, um, being in Carrot Tops movie. Yes. Um, and Norm Macdonald had a number of good zingers oh, in that one. I love, <laughs> it was, the name was Undetermined. He said, what? It's a movie with Carrot Top. I got a name for you. Box Office Poison. Yeah. <laughs> and then she said, actually, it's called Chairman of the Board. Yeah. And Conan's like, yeah, make something out of that funny guy. Yeah. And he goes, I bet Board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> yes. And that was when Conan just walked up and like turned in a circle. There, there are too many good Norm Macdonald uh, oh. clips to see. There's one, it's like an award for being a YouTuber or, or just being <laughs> online. Anyway, he's there, right? <laughs> he's dressed like yeah. in sweatpants. And he, he's, he's with uh, two, like, two YouTube stars whose, whose star is comparatively tiny to his. And right. they just don't know what to do with him because he just, you know, he goes off script and goes nuts <laughs> it's it's pretty freaking fantastic or like um uh, uh dennis miller 
has a radio mm-hmm. show and Norm Macdonald will call onto the radio show to demonstrate his ventriloquism act. <laughs> so, oh man like, like normie this uh this puppet of yours understand he's a virulent anti-semite <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he, oh. he get like a routine where like uh you're the dummy no you're the dummy no you're the dummy no you're the dummy <laughs> or like oh. did you see that one uh uh it was on uh david letterman uh where you know how when guests run long, they'll bump the last guest? Right. Norm MacDonald was bumped every day of the week. <laughs> so, so it would end with Letterman saying, uh, my apologies to Norm MacDonald. We'll have him on on a, on a further occasion, right? And then it would just, they would show Norm MacDonald like, by the curtain looking intently like, like he's ready to go on. <laughs> yeah. Every, every day of the week, pushed off. Um, yeah. A, a weird guy, definitely uh, marched to the beat of his own drum. Yeah, he was really, he was really, everybody's got a great story of, oh, this one cool, this one funny thing I saw Norm MacDonald do. Oh, it's ridiculous. In, like, he dominates, yeah. he dominates conversations. If he's there with other comedians, you know, like a, ones with big movie crews, they keep talking about the things he said. Or even if he's not there, right? <laughs> <laughs> They'll be talking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's, it's really, I was, I was looking for, and I'll talk about it a little later, but I was looking for something totally different and just went to, uh, the CBC's website and that was like the headline. I was what? Hmm. Yeah. It's too bad it's, he couldn't write his own headline for CBC. A reluctant Canadian <laughs> dies at 61 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He would have had fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, like, I guess the. You know, he he had cancer and just didn't tell the general public about it because he didn't want people like pitying him and bringing him, you know, he didn't want to bring people down. Right. He just wanted, you know, if people think about Norm Macdonald, he wanted him to think about all the hilarious stuff that he'd done. They didn't want to think, oh, he's he's got cancer. The poor guy. He's just wait till that's out of the way. And then people can go, oh, he had cancer. That's too bad. But Mm. still dominating you know, dominating the con- the Norm Macdonald conversation with the funny stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. Well, moving on. Um, <laughs> stuff I've done. I finished 12 Forever, finally. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, for people who haven't been listening to the show or maybe don't know 12 Forever, it's a cartoon about uh, a girl named Reg- Regina who uh, is fighting back against the idea of becoming a woman and wants to stay 12 forever. And one of her vehicles to doing that is that she's got a magic key that transports her to another realm called the endless full of whimsical cartoon characters. And there she's a, uh, superhumanly strong athlete. And she, and she makes other friends whom she invites to the endless, um, interesting show. Um, mm-hmm. it's sad that it's, uh, a one and done show, most likely. Yeah, I was really I like now that you've seen the whole thing, you know what I'm talking about when well, I say, yeah, I was I was really intrigued by what they could do with a 13 forever. Yeah, or 12 like, and a half or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, they'd set up a lot of stuff. Each of the uh, three um, children who can go to the endless had 
story hooks established for them in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then they furthermore uh, showed that the Endless had more realms to it. Mm, yeah. Which is funny to me and ironic that a place called the Endless that Reggie, Todd, and Esther chose to stay confined to one place. <laughs> it's kind of a weird show because like, I would say it's humor is a little different than other shows of the day, which is probably why it resonates better with me when I feel a lot of these other shows kind of, you could almost uh, shuffle their scripts up, you know? Mm. And, you know, it's funny going to that climax um, or even, even other parts of the series, it's not really an action show, but the action is pretty decent in it. Yeah. It's like, it's understandable action. So it's weird to say like, you know, other shows might have flashier stuff going on, but in a way, not being so flashy means that you're not taken from the story, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, when, it's like, yeah, like it's kind of like, I mean, it's, it's weird to draw this comparison to another relatively obscure thing, but like, um, star versus the forces of evil, how they would in the early episodes, they would just slide in this token fight against Ludo and his crew, mm. but the show wasn't about that. Right. Right. That said the big climax of the show. I thought that it really delivered mm-hmm. like there's a pitfall to that style of climax. Uh, so they present an enemy that is way overpowered. Mm. And when shows tend to do that and then have like a big battle scene for the end, when the thing is going to be 21 minutes or however long, there's not like the careful planning to make this into something satisfying. Instead, it really feels like this ultra powerful being is really just sitting on his hands, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, like there's so many examples. I almost want to call it the Unicron principle because uh, tra- <laughs> Transformers Armada uh, brought back Unicron, right? It's right. alternate reality take, but it doesn't have a movie's budget. So for the most part, he's just this immobile figure standing around. And for many episodes... Um, yeah, it's funny too. There's, there was a show called Kitty grade whose climax also was a giant, basically a mobile, uh, humanoid vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like Armada decided that was great. Let's do that again. <laughs> like it takes careful planning to do, to make something like that. I guess it's like, Hmm. It's like how in video games, if there's something you can beat, but it's hard then it feels, you feel the challenge. But if something right. isn't reasonably hard, then mm. you just feel frustrated, right? Oh, believe me, I know. I play The Binding of Isaac. Right. So in this case, if it's like a narrative you're watching and there's an ultra powerful final boss, shall we say. Yeah. If they just win, it feels unearned. And like, you have to plan it out in such a way where... Heroes try things that fail and other times they're, you know, avoiding destruction by, uh, by the skin of their teeth. They're escaping the thing's attacks. And I think this, uh, I think the climax of 12 forever did it pretty well. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I, I spent the whole series thinking like, I always thought there was more to it than there actually was. Mm-hmm. Like I thought maybe there wasn't actually a place called endless and it was just them pretending in their in her bedroom. Like we were on endless. I was about to ask. Yeah. And then like, as it got further in, it started to seem less and less likely. And then as it gets towards the end where like, she's coming back from endless with like visible, 
like cuts on her arm. That only like, only her companions would go to endless see it. But yeah, hmm. probably we didn't get any clarity. Like, see if her mom saw them. Well, yeah, and I was thinking like if that's true that like if it is just her imagination, but she's like getting physical injury, then that starts to get into this weirdly dark like you know self harm territory. Oh, um, sure. But not the case, I mean, it seems. But <laughs> Yeah. Like another example, I think I might have mentioned this previously, is like an episode where she's got some stomach ache. Like they're yeah. going to go to summer camp or whatever. They're going to camp out on Endless and she's got this stomach ache. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, is this her getting her period? Huh. But then, no, it turned out she just had um, appendicitis. Yeah. They just needed a way to write her out um, of the field trip. Hmm. And so it's like every time I thought, oh, is this show more than it looks like? It's like, no, actually, it's exactly everything is exactly what it appears to be. Huh. Yeah, I kind of I think if she were to imagine a world, it wouldn't be like that. I think she would imagine more okay. adversaries for herself. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Also interesting to that. I think it's funny. She she does a lot of make believe play in the real world. Hmm. But it's not like she's taking characters or things from Endless to her, like, her make-believe play is strictly her imagination still, even though she goes to this other world full of weird monster people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And actually, I think, I've said it, the, the, the monster people in Endless, the, the denizens of Endless are uh, uh, not my favorite part of the show. I I can imagine that, yeah. I don't think they're my favorite either. I find it interesting... When she is just doing creative stuff in real life, mm. you know, like playing with her toys and making dioramas and stuff. And uh, uh, or <laughs> like when she put on the the original facsimile for her endless costume. Yeah. Which I think people would have a problem with. But, you know, these days I see people wearing all kinds of crazy things in just general <laughs> public. Right. I think they're wearing their. Uh, their anime cosplays with no convention mm. going on <laughs> or uh, their furry tails or, or uh, ears. Now, I don't doubt that these people get sass in the general public, but, <laughs> nah, maybe. but, but there's just like that little incremental push to where I think, you know, if Reggie just found the right crowd, they wouldn't. Well, I guess she did. She found Todd and Esther. Mm. Actually, you're talking about she goes to the endless and then comes back with cuts. Maybe yeah. then ponder, can they bring things out of the Endless? Because she brings Todd into the Endless hmm. and out. Which and really takes stuff and takes stuff in there, like all her oh. books about puberty and stuff. Right. Makes me all the more curious. Remember, Todd does not own a guitar, except in Endless, he's got a, a, a tree that makes guitars. <laughs> like, why doesn't he take one of those with him? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess he'd have to Maybe. explain where it came from. Let's headcanon it real quick. Um, yeah. Because it is endless, when they take something out of it, it ages super quickly. Okay. And it would decompose. All right. There. I might still do it just for the novelty, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're little kids, after all. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I wonder. I, this is the kind of thing I should have looked up, I guess. I wonder if there's uh, other endless material, you know, like... Oh, uh, maybe not. They, the the voice of Reggie is also one of the writers on the show, and she's mm. gone on to other things, I think. So, yeah, um, I have a feeling somebody involved in that show got into some kind of trouble. 
Oh, yeah? With something, like, said... I don't know, said something, like, that was problematic at some point in their... Like, maybe it was, like, in a Tumblr post, like, five years ago or something. I, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember. But there was some... Somebody ran into some kind of cancel culture controversy. Huh. I thought it was just canceled because, you know, most cartoons do get canceled. Well, no, like, it, no, like it oh, was like, yeah. I think this was like, I mean, there's canceled as in a TV show and there's canceled as in this person is a problem. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. Okay. And it's like, yeah, the show got canceled after one season. Um, but then I think that's also this one person who worked on it, uh, did something said something on the internet that was problematic at some point in their history. Huh. I don't know. That kind yeah. of thing. I think you'd be able to, should be able to just to say, I'm sorry and be done with it. But yeah, I mean, especially if it was a long time ago when you were young and stupid. Yeah. Or even old, stupid, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've said stuff that I regret now. Like I remember 2012, like going to a furry convention and I, in my, report about it afterward i said something that was kind of insensitive towards trans people mm -hmm. and i kind of got some guff from that and i and i used that as an opportunity to educate myself mm -hmm. okay well at any rate uh so that's what i did matt c how about you what did i do this past week um uh i watched all of steven universe all of it including well, including future no, I haven't okay. watched the movie, and I haven't watched Future. Okay. But I've watched all of the proper show. That's a bunch. Yeah, the thing is, I live alone, yeah. and I'm an introvert, and mm. so, like, my idea of a good time is sitting at home by myself, watching stuff on the internet. Mm. So, and it was an engaging show, so it wasn't a, a problem for me to, you know, spend my free time watching episode after episode of Steven Universe. Hmm. And and I like it. Yeah. Um I think I had some some of my like you know the first few episodes didn't really click with me. Yeah. For the first time I tried it, I was mm -hmm. like, "Okay, I get it." But, you mm -hmm. know, the more you watch it, like the more the overarching story starts to bubble up. Mm -hmm. And also the more you start to understand the characters. Like I I really like characters that have a theme. Okay. Like a great example of this is Homestuck, the webcomic mm -hmm. where, you know, there's 12 trolls and they're all themed around the Zodiac. And then there's these gangsters, there's four of them and they're, they're themed around the card suits. And I think that these other gangsters and there's like 15 of them and they're all based on billiard balls. <laughs> okay. I think if I remember correctly, the felt boys, <laughs> I think they're called. All right. And so I, I was like, okay, I like the idea of these gems. But the other thing is that I find it is possible to overdo a theme a little bit. Mm -hmm. And when it starts to get forced, then I start to check out. And once it was kind of like expanded. Well, it, okay, before I watched the show, I mm -hmm. should say. I, I figured, okay, there's Diamond or no. Well, there is Diamond, but not till later. Yeah. There's Pearl, Amethyst, Garnet. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then I found out, oh, there's also Peridot, and there's also Lapis Lazuli. And at this point, I've started to go, okay, it, when there was three superheroes that were themed around gems, that was cool. But now you're adding more, and that's starting to lose me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then when I found out that they were not unique, that 
there's a gem race. And it's not that there is this one superhero named Pearl. It's that she is one of many pearls. And well, the pearls are servants and the amethysts are soldiers. And once I realized that, that it's a race, hmm. then I was back on board. Do you think there's more than four pearls? Um, I would imagine mm. that there's probably more pearls in a, I bet. Okay. So I'm thinking about how amethyst was created. Like they basically create gems by injecting them. Well, they, they created the quartz based gems like yes. amethyst and Jasper by injecting them in the ground and letting them grow. And I'm thinking about how pearls are formed. I know that's the oddball. One of these things is not like the other. So I'm thinking, but at the same time, when you think about gems on earth, pearls are the easiest ones to make. Mm. So I, I bet I'm thinking that pearls are probably something that the aristocracy of the gem race has access to. Right. Um, it's an interesting thought that there is only three or four pearls. So if there might be like baronesses, essentially, that they might have pearls as well. Sure. Yeah. Like wow. um, my understanding, like it looked to me like Sapphire was a big deal. Right. Yeah. So I, I wonder if Sapphires have pearls. Yeah. It doesn't correspond to the gem rarity or value. Doesn't no. really seem to correspond to anything on that show. Not really. But I mean, it, you know, it's but anyway, um, the point is, I, I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, it leaned heavy into the um, uh, trans gender metaphor right at the end. It did. Yeah. <laughs> like and I and, and there's no problem with that. Like yeah. it, it was handled really well. Like it took this. I was talking about it with somebody else. And like I said, you know, the basic concept is that there's this young, this awkward adolescent boy who's trying to be a magical girl. And my friend was like, is it like trans themed? Is he does he want to be a girl? Does he dress like a girl? And I kind of went, well, not strictly that way. But like, you know, there's later where he's like, I think the moment that did it for me was when late, 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 somebody's they're They're calling Stephen as if he is his mother. Yes. Um, and someone calls him. Uh, well, I won't say who they call him because that's a spoiler, but they call him by the name that mm. the his mother went by. And somebody else kind of uh, stopped that and went, actually, he prefers to be called Stephen now. Right. And I was like, that's. Like that was the moment where I was like, okay, yeah, all this, all this imagery about Garnet and her, you know, she's, I, I can't tell if like, at first I thought that Garnet was kind of like, she's like the gem equivalent of a nudist. But then I started to realize that she's actually the gem equivalent of an interracial couple in a really segregated society. Yeah. Yeah, I think some cases it's really heavy handed like that. It's not subtext anymore. Right. Like you said, yeah, you knew right away. Oh, this is a trans metaphor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean, the the show's creator is a non-binary individual Mm -hmm. named Rebecca Sugar. Mm -hmm. So you can understand it. Yeah. And and like I said, it's you know, it it really laid itself bare late in the series, Mm -hmm. but it was subtle enough in the rest of it that it kind of made you go back and like think about all the rest of it. And think about all the imagery that you missed. 
which I don't mind. I, I can dig that. You know, in that show, I don't think there's a character that is a real bummer character for me. Like, you, you know, know how, what? That's that's yeah. the other thing I was going to mention. I like almost every character in that show, which is really rare for me. Yeah. I, I went into it's go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what's his name? The uh, the conspiracy theorist. I guess I don't like him all that much. Yeah, I don't like him either. Ronaldo. Ronaldo he's yeah. like he's like he's probably the one. I mean, maybe if I thought hard enough about the supporting cast of that show, I could come up with other ones. But like Ronaldo is the one that every time he showed up, I was like, ugh. <laughs> um, there's like two characters in the show who are genuinely bad people, but are supposed to be bad people. Hmm. Where you're, they're not like a redemption story, or if you knew their background or anything like that, it's like, no, these are toxic humans that you don't want in your life. Don't, don't suffer people like these in your life. That's funny uh, you say it that way because, mm -hmm. by comparison, there are gems from from Homeworld who have the Darth Vader principle to them, where mm -hmm. we're supposed to forgive them, but they're like complicit. You would assume in the deaths of billions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't show it, but they show that they colonize worlds and they have no compunction about erasing all of the life from Earth. So, yeah, <laughs> they've, they probably have killed just billions and billions of people, just like, you know, the idea that Darth Vader would be redeemed at the end when he sat by and watched planets get blown up. Yeah, and probably still are like that. That kind of popped into my head now and then where they're like trying to come up with this. OK, leave Earth alone. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, I mean, they're expanding across the galaxy into various other Earth-like planets. So, I mean, does each one of those need its own rose quartz to instigate a rebellion? Hey. Um, the one other character that I want to mention is Greg. Oh, yeah. Uh, Steven's dad. Mm -hmm. I love him so much. <laughs> He's He yeah. is such a good person. Like, there was a moment in there where uh, Steven has a little friend named Connie. Hmm. And there was a moment in there where he just offhand, they're just having a conversation. And, and Greg just says to her, he's like, you can, you know, you can talk to me about anything. Yeah. And I was like, he's not her dad. He is just yeah. this guy that she knows. He didn't have to say that. But like the and, and he's always, you know, as soon as he saw her in another episode, he's like, hey, Connie, do you need a ride home? Like hmm. he's and and there's other people like he's so he's such a good person. To every like or and talking about Sadie, like there's another mm. a, a character who ends up forming a band. Yeah. And it's talking about, oh wow, this is Sadie singing. Sadie, you're doing a great job. You're like just complimenting them all. Like he's right. so he's such a good person. It like I was there was a a time when I paused to get something to eat. And yeah. as I was pacing around my house thinking about what I wanted to eat, I was just thinking about like Greg. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I was almost moved to tears thinking about what a, <laughs> what a wonderful human being Greg is. Yeah. You know what? I had a similar thing. Uh, this is, this can only occur when you're really invested in it because it's not yeah. like the show goes out of its way, like, you know, to present Greg is a great guy, you know? Uh, but I, I got back into watching the third season of Non Non Beauty. I think I've mentioned on the show before. It's the uh, anime about uh, girls in a rural area. Um, oh, right. Four friends. Yeah, yeah. One of the girls, my favorite of the principal four, uh, is a trickster. She's a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. But she is also well-liked. Like, she's a twin 
No, she's not a twin. Sorry, she's she's the younger sister. But her 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 older sister, like when they say we're going over to play at their house, they always say the troublemaker's name, right? Yeah. And then I further went to think like that it, she's she's outgoing, and the youngest character on the show she acts like an older sister to her. I mean, she mm-hmm. has two older sisters, but one's old enough to the point where she's their school teacher, and the right. other one goes to school out of town. Yeah. But it's just kind of neat. And then I further went to think. That little that little girl has numerous little sisters throughout the community, right? Like mm. the uh, uh, the young woman who runs the candy store is sort of her older sister too. And but it's one of mm. those things, I guess. You know, it's it's uh, for a, a level of you being deep into the show. Mm-hmm. Same way, if you're thinking like <laughs> being moved to tears by that schlubby Greg. Yeah, I mean, he's such a he that yeah. Um, Man, he's so good. He's and not like a good as in like, oh, he's a good character. But I mean, yeah. like he's like his his character is such a genuinely good person. Kind of. But you'd be frustrated by him at the same time. Like you remember the episode where he uh, for the sake of Rose Quartz, he figures he has to grow up. He's like going mm-hmm. to Vidalia's house to do his laundry and eat her cereal. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then he sees her tending to her baby and it makes him realize that that's him. <laughs> oh, you know, I actually really liked that, too. Yeah. Like that made me laugh a lot. The yes. idea that there is a character voiced by Brian Posehn. Yeah. And then they introduce the baby version of that character and the baby noises are still being voiced by Brian Posehn. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, so it, funny. It was baby sour cream, right? And he was it still was baby like, sour cream. He yeah. was still like, meh, meh. <laughs> meh. Yeah. Just man. <laughs> and oh, thinking of like favorite episodes when I, I, you know, picked a couple that I thought, yeah, these are good. You know, mm-hmm. you just to think of a whole bunch of other ones like the uh, the one where they have to play a baseball game against the Rubies. Well, that's your jam, isn't it? it well, yeah, it was, it's a fun episode overall. Or uh, yeah. I like the one where uh, Stephen and Amethyst convince Pearl to go have some fun. And they act oh. as her wingmen. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that they never resolved. Well, I haven't I haven't seen the movie or Steven Universe Future, so I guess I haven't I you know, there might be a resolution to that. Oh yeah. yeah. There was a whole community to Steven Universe, so every little mm-hmm. thing was a conspiracy or or had had a thread they felt they could pull, you know, like uh Yeah. They felt like, hey, uh the mystery woman from that episode, she was mm-hmm. really tall and had uh, had pink hair. You know what else yeah. fits that profile, huh? Well, I mean, they say that in the episode. Well, yes, yes. But, yeah, but, they, but also, yeah. like, I mean, it's in that vein, like a good, another good example would be Peridot and Lapis Lazuli. Yeah. From the Internet's reaction, I assumed that they had an established romantic relationship in the show. No, they're just sloppy roommates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I love that, too. I love that Lapis, who is arguably the most powerful crystal gem, mm. that uh, that she in some ways is more sloppy and detached than Greg. (laughs) (laughs) That's another thing that I like. I like how alien the gems are. Yeah. But like they, they, it's kind of understated, but like Mm -hmm. it's done really well. Like they're like just not understanding things or just like Pearl just being awkward with human traditions. Or I like that. I like that she is disgusted by the idea of eating. And I like that Amethyst, just likes the idea of eating and makes no difference between what's edible and what's not. 
but they don't right. they don't do it overdo it as a gag. It's just like, you know, she'll be eating some corn dogs and then she'll just eat the whole them like stick and all. Or there was there was one where she's like, hey, Stephen, do we have any motor oil? I need some for my sandwich. Hey, I, I like that. Uh, the other thing, uh, Amethyst often has little jokes about her shape change forms. You yeah. know, they're just intrinsically funny because she'll just be like a horse head leaning into frame and talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we should yeah, probably yeah. stop there. Steven Universe is really good. And um, I am looking forward to watching the movie and the future. Yeah. And check out 12 Forever if you are OK with it ending after 13. <gasps> oh, 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 yeah. oh. I what? forgot one other yeah. thing. Um, quick thing for any Canadian celery stalkers out there. Uh, I was if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I post screenshots of the things that we watch mm. to promote the show. And I was looking for some high quality screenshots of dinosaurs because the version <laughs> that Micah and I both watched is like this low quality, like VHS split into two halves garbage. Oh, yeah. The screenshot you shared had the station ID in the corner. Well, there's a reason for, well, actually, no, there's not a reason for that. Yeah. That's like, yeah, yeah. that I, I found a decent shot, okay. but here's the other thing. While I was searching for a better version of that, I discovered that the website for one of the TV channels here, ctv.ca, it just has dinosaurs available to stream. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. Now it does it Netflix style where you can't actually take a screenshot of it. So oh. I wasn't able to use that. And it, otherwise you would have seen CTV down at the bottom. But yeah. So if you're in Canada and you want to watch dinosaurs, just CTV.ca. You don't need an account or anything. It's just there. And it makes me wonder what else they've got. Right. So I'm, I'm going to have to do some research into that. So first, first watch dinosaurs. Yeah. And then watch Steven Universe. First get a VPN that, that makes the internet think you're in Canada. Mm. And then, yeah. Anyway. There, there. Okay, dinosaurs and Steven Universe. Now I'm done, and we can move on. Okay, let's get heavy again. All right. I am looking at Hunger, Hunger. from the National Film Board. You're going hungry. Yeah. It's by Peter Foldez uh, from 1973. So first of all, before even going into the story, I have to tell you about the serial, surreal look of this film. Yeah. So that you're imagining something that approximates what I'm talking about. Um, it's computer animation. Remember, this is 1973. So yeah. it's specifically line morphing. And it creates this surreal story uh, where people and objects change shape to express ideas. And also important to the mood, the music is this uh, unnerving electronica with a driving beat alternated with 70s funk. <laughs> so, at the start, we see a man working the phones at an office. He snacks continuously as he works, and at one point temporarily grows a second head to answer a second phone. His assistant simply materializes out of the front of the chair, as though her existence is only to take his notes. At quitting time, she is reabsorbed into the chair. He leaves his humdrum job, turning into a car when he gets into the street. And I, I mean that he literally changes shape into a car. Once he's reverted back to human form, he contorts to bend his way into a bakery where he buys donuts and rings up his sale on the clerk, like the clerk's chest has cash register buttons. <laughs> um, then it's off to a restaurant. Eating 
is pleasant at first, but then it turns to manic gorging that greatly fattens out his frame. And after he is done eating, he orders the waitress as though she were a thing on the menu. The two, together, morph into the car, then take in the condensed contents of a whole supermarket. Now they're a couple, and at their home, he continues to eat and eat, and he gains extra mouths and arms so that he can cram food into himself at a greater pace. Like first it's just a mouth on each cheek, but pretty soon he's got various mouths, uncompartmentalized bubbled forms of his chest with hands all shoveling food into each mouth. And eventually his head becomes the jaws of an excavator vehicle so that he can just eat the whole table. And then off to the side, his wife is doing a sultry dance. But when he takes her into his, into his embrace, she falls apart and becomes just pots, pans, and other cookware. So, now a man of unwieldy fatness, he goes to bed alone, but his hunger pangs keep him awake. After taking medicine, he manages to fall asleep, but then he falls through his bed, through the floor, and into a nightmare. When he lands, he is surrounded by emaciated children. Those children's faces become monstrous, and they swarm him to feed. Okay. Hmm. So, first off, the look of this film. Yeah. The morphing at first seems like it might be crude, but there's a lot of careful work that's been done to make these indig individual components morph. Either yeah. to animate, yeah, either to animate semi-conventionally, which I think might actually be harder, or to altogether become different objects. Right. Yeah, I've used software like this back in the day, and it's uh, essentially you have an object, and then you, you change it. You know, you 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 alter it, you you skew it, or whatever, and then it fills in the tweens, if you will, the in the in betweens to get mm -hmm. to there. Yeah. Um. So in a lot of cases, this isn't just a case of being able to take a whole character and then go, hey, this is the end result, do this. Most of the time, I think it's got to be really painstaking, like take the mouth and make it end to this mouth, take the ear and make it go to there and so on. So this kind of like if you imagine like, <laughs> I mean, we'll yeah, we'll talk about flash later. But if you imagine like bad flash transitions, right. Except in this case, working with what was available. Well, yeah, like, sure. like doing doing the most with it, and in fact, the technique becoming the theme of the film, right? Oh, no, yeah, like it's yeah. like if you if you imagine that kind of like you know two objects, like like if well, I mean to to get into something we'll talk about later. Uh, if you imagine the cheats animations in Homestar Runner, when something will move from one place to another and it kind of falls apart and then reassembles, yeah, very like, much. That looks crude. But in this, it's done stylistically. Right, right. And, okay, so th this this film is supposed to have, like, a look at uh, the idea of the materialism and gluttony of the uh, advanced world compared to, like, the third world. Yeah. How there's people with with a lot who take it to excess while other people have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the ultimate turn at the end. But I think there's a lot of different layers in it. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for example, I, I stressed it quite a bit that for him, 
people aren't even people. They're just functions. Oh, yeah. True. Yep. Right. Yeah, so, like, the secretary only exists to come in and out of his chair. That that clerk was just a cash register. Mm-hmm. And that his waitress was just a sex object. But even later on, she's even less than a sex object. Like, when she tries to engage him that way, she just turns into pots and pans. So, I take it that she's now purely a domestic to keep him keep him gorged. Yeah, she's, like, the thing that prepares food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this has been a big thing for me when I think about people, right, and why they do the things they do. I think compulsions are an attempt to fill bottomless holes that are created by pain. Mm. So you see him early on, and he's doing this job that sucks, clearly, right? Yeah. The, the mood makes it seem, you know, that he's he's just in it for any kind of distraction while he's he's going. He's just chunking the food into his mouth while he's manning these phones. Yeah. Um, so I, I take it on that level that he's just, you know, he's unsatable in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and that's kind of a look, it's kind of a side of it. I hadn't really thought too much about. Mm. I saw this movie back in, it must've been like grade five or six or seven or something. Like they showed it to us in school. It oh. might've, it might've been related to a UNICEF project of some kind. Mm. Um, but it stuck with me because like you, you said that music is haunting. Oh, it is. Yeah. And, and um, like the look, it's like orange or red with white lines on it. Um, oh, it's, 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 yeah. Duochrome, right? It's like black lines yeah. with white and then one other color. Yeah. yeah. And it's grotesque. Um, Often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like I hadn't, you know, my, my impression of it from an early age was, oh, it's that movie about, you know, starving children right and, but there's and lots seeing of it, stuff. well yeah, yeah like seeing it later in life like and and i you know i already had that impression of it but like to have you come into it with relatively fresh eyes i don't know if you've seen this before i don't remember it now okay um so you're coming into it more or less blind mm. and for you to immediately take away that many different levels from it and all well, levels all levels that can be described with the word hunger too not just literal need for food but hunger like as in the need for something else when i talk about like levels i i think i don't think it's purpose but i think it's understanding right like Mm -hmm. i think the purpose is that simple one that you can take away from it yeah but i think like in in presenting it uh that's what gives it more depth and like understanding Mm -hmm. right that it's not just it's not presenting a hollow idea even though this is like an 11 minute short and uh the character doesn't speak we don't we're not you know engaged with them that long everything Mm -hmm. seems like something i guess especially if you're an oldie you can attribute to yourself right right yeah these are like weaknesses you understand yeah it's it's interesting it's really dark Mm -hmm. um yeah you know uh this film won a special jury prize at the Cannes film festival Mm mm-hmm and it was nominated for Best Picture or Best Best Picture. Best, I mean, it's short at the Academy Awards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was quite a lot of awards. Um, Peter Fuldis, who made it. Uh, I checked out another of his shorts. Mm-hmm. It's called A Short Vision from 1956. Okay. Which he, he created with his wife, Joan, uh, for BFI. I think that's uh, British Film Institute. Okay. And it's a... Uh, a glimpse at the, 
the darkness of nuclear war. Mm. So he doesn't shy away from anything dark. That's for sure. Yeah. No, that one's from 1956. And it's like, uh, all kinds of different media. There's some cutout animation. There's some, uh, paint on glass animation. Hmm. And it's, it's grisly and horrific. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, interesting, and like one of the first computer animated movies too. So it's right. interesting to look at in that bit of history. You know, at first I wasn't even sure it was old. I thought it was <laughs> just, I thought it was just interesting. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also very easy for anyone to watch. I'm sure it's on nfb.ca, probably oh, on sure. their YouTube channel, I would assume. Sure, um, but I will I will contrast that in a different sense. Not that easy to watch. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's uh, it's dark. Hmm. We need something lighter. Yeah, some. <laughs> I think we have something. Okay. And some some vote of children. We got a Looney Tunes thing from hmm. 1954 called from a to Z Z Z Z or as we Canadians would call it from a to Z Z Z Z. And we start in school and here the children are reciting the generations of video game consoles from the eighties and nineties. Hmm. Two and two is four, four and four is eight. Hmm. Uh, all except for little Ralph Phillips, Ralph, is just looking out the window and watching a bird revel in the joy of flying like Starfire from Teen Titans. He starts to imagine himself just flying along happily through the clouds until he's brought back to reality by his teacher, Ms. Wallace. The teacher sarcastically accepts his affirmation that he was paying attention and gets him to demonstrate that he was paying attention by solving the towering addition problem on the blackboard. Staring up at the numbers, he begins to drift off again, imagining all the numbers laughing at him. Until a chalk version of himself shows up and pulls the line from beneath them, sending them all tumbling to the ground. The incensed numbers attack, and he fights them off with various weapons improvised from the letters atop the blackboard. Until he is awakened from his reverie once again by his uh, teacher, and he finds the other students laughing at him. So the teacher decides that maybe he just needs some fresh air and rather irresponsibly sends him to drop a letter in the mailbox for her. So, of course, he imagines himself as a cowboy trying to deliver the mail through engine country. Assaulted by what you can only describe as red-skinned savages because it's 1953 and that's what they did then, he manages to shoot a few of them with his revolver and deliver the mail though he is mortally wounded with a cluster of arrows stuck in his back when he finally arrives back at school. And also this is around the time when they give Ralph a voice actor. Yeah. And now it's yeah, time. He doesn't speak. He doesn't speak till then. Does he? No, he does. He, he actually mimes like he just nods. Right. Right. Like I was actually kind of jarring when he spoke. I was like, Oh wait, he is going to talk in this. And only, then he's only, yeah. Only still when he thinks he's a pony express character. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Now it's time for geography. But Ralph is once again distracted by the goldfish in the class fish tank. He starts to imagine it as a shark circling a sunken submarine. Do, 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 do. <laughs> he is in the Navy 
and he has to dive down and recover it. He only has a knife that Hydron would be proud of. He dives into the water. (laughs) Master of the callbacks. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) He dives into the water, and the shark and he have an anime sprint battle where they charge at each other and then stop and turn around, and then the shark splits into two halves. He rescues the sub, but an octopus tentacle snatches him, and he awakens to find the teacher directing him to stand in the corner. So, of course, he imagines that he's in the corner of a boxing ring, ready for the big match against a pretty typical Chuck Jones muscle-bound lout. He handles him Mike Tyson's punch-out style. He dodges, counters with a body blow, and then presses start to use the uppercut. He celebrates as the bell rings, and then his teacher wakes him up, because it's the school bell that's ringing, and class is dismissed for the day. And as he leaves, Ralph imagines himself as General Patton, delivering a trademark promise that he shall return. Isn't that General MacArthur? Oh, wait, maybe it is. Damn yeah. it. I, I'm, I don't know my well, World War II. It's just like, it's just like Jimmy Durante. The amount that I know about General MacArthur is seeing characters <laughs> in cartoons go, I shall return. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah. when you gave me this, I said that there was a scene in this that scarred me for life. All right. And what Let's I didn't it. realize was that there were so many scenes. Ah. Okay, so the scene, the scene that I was talking about is the part where the shark splits in half. Ha, yes, so a clean split with the sound effect that they would use for a tree splitting in half in Looney Tunes. Yeah, or any kind of other rubbery thing, like yeah, yeah, like you know, pulling a, you know, if the the coyote was pulling a big rubber acme slingshot or something, but yeah. like the fact that there's it's all pink inside, <laughs> and like, even that there's no guts or bones or anything. Yeah, just, but like <laughs> it's one of the it's like just this pink meat. It's one of the goriest things. <laughs> that that Looney Tunes has ever shown. And it's not alone in this because now yeah. I'm remembering like things that really stood out to me, like that I forgot about until I watched them. But then I remembered, you know, every time I watched this cartoon as a kid, remembering these scenes of like stabbing a five through the heart, shooting an arrow into the into an eight and causing it to deflate. Um, yeah. The scene where he's walking back and he's got like these huge arrows all stuck in his back. Right. This is a brutally violent cartoon. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the suddenness of that shark split <laughs> amuses me, right? The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like when somebody even is uh, incredibly selfish. Sometimes it makes me laugh just because I'm so stunned by the moment. <laughs> same, same thing with this violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now you talk about being haunted. I think this is the root of one of my childhood boogeymen. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I always imagined these, uh, beings that were like people, but they only existed as white outlines. Oh, and they were cannibals. So they would bite each other's lines and you could see the broken segments falling into their stomachs. (laughs) I think that might be rooted in his chalk battles, even though. Yeah, even though t- from there to there is a tremendous leap. But, you know, yeah. it would have been one of my limited influences, right? So Yeah, yeah. I remember that shark. Like, that, when you said from A to Z, 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 Z last week, mm-hmm. like, that was what popped into my head. Like, oh, the shark. I didn't even remember any of his other daydreams. I just remembered the shark. 
Does it still inspire goosebumps? It's it res- it's like you. It inspires yeah. shock. It's like I can't believe they did that, <laughs> and I can't believe all the other stuff they did in this. Um, there is a shot that I thought was really really funny, which mm. is when he's riding back from delivering the mail. And the Indians are shooting arrows at him again. And the, <laughs> there's this shot where the screen is just filled, completely filled with a sea of different colored designed arrows, like just a ridiculous number of them. You can't imagine the number of arrows that are flying across the screen. It's it must have been so, kind of fun. It's so ridiculous. It's so yeah. ridiculous that it's funny. If you think that, by the way, that the... Uh the engines in this are cringeworthy. <laughs> you know that Ralphie Phillips has another cartoon, right? Yes. I I probably should have watched it, but I didn't. Uh, in there, he saves his parents from, uh, I can't remember if it's African or uh, oh. island cannibals. Right, right. <laughs> yes. So it stays thematic to this cartoon in presenting at least one fantasy like that. I will say that a, these aren't the worst stereotypical Indians I've seen in a cartoon. No, they 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 look like, you know, lithe, imposing warriors. But that's another thing that's like gruesome in this is where he's shooting with his revolver and you see the Indians just like suddenly go shock upright and topple off their horses shot dead. The number of things that get killed in this cartoon is amazing. <laughs> and yeah, he's. He's, he's for sure a 50s kid thinking about these things. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 you, true. This is like one episode of Mad Men. <laughs> you know, Mad Men's this live action show about a advertising company in the 60s. And uh, there's a new guy who's presenting his idea about a, com- a product called Snowball. And he says, it's like, it's a picture, bam, a snowball right to the face. And there's a whole bunch of these different ones showing other different people you'd want to see take a snowball to the kisser. Like, uh a, you know, a cop or a police chief or a police officer, a, 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 a an Indian chief. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> you want to see that guy be taken down a notch, that Indian chief. But, yeah, man. I mean, it's 1954 for you, I guess. Well, any, but the cartoon on its merits, funny. Well, it's a cute idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's really and, cute seeing all these daydreams. There's funny sequences that. in it for sure. Oh, I love Ralphie's expressions. Like, I like yeah. how, well, for one, he's, he's got this ovoid head, right? Mm-hmm. And then his hair is perfect to the contour of it. Mm-hmm. And then in his fantasies, he's got personas that are, like, serious and heroic. Yeah. But when he's out of his fantasies, he's got this helpless doe expression that he reverts to in an instant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got these off-color eyelids, too. You mm-hmm. notice that? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of a... Um, that's kind of a visual cue for being tired in cartoons like these is to have your eyelids all gray and heavy. Yeah. His teachers got them too, though, but she had, you know what? She had a great line that it's like it, it's, it's so modern that I couldn't yeah. believe that they were doing this. They were saying this kind of thing in 1954, Yeah, which is where he, he comes back from delivering the mail and he's like, he says something, you don't need to worry about the ranch, Miss Wallace. I made sure the mortgage went through and she just, she's got her head, like her chin resting on her hand. And she just kind of looks at the camera and goes, uh, yeah, Yeah. that's so sarcastic and ironic that it would fit today. Mm -hmm. 
I like that. Mm. That whole sequence, like between like, I didn't like the shooting the Indians so much, but like the, the ridiculous swarm of arrows and then her response to it at the end. Like that was my favorite sequence of this whole cartoon. All of them have their little things. Like the boxing was pretty funny. I thought too. Yeah. Where, like, see, dodging the punch. But then, like, that he walks away out of frame yeah. in order to run back and slug him. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. I mean, you know, that's that's boxing in Looney Tunes. It's barely distinguishable from wrestling. Yeah. yeah. And this guy's all barely distinguishable from the crusher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's why I said he's a typical Chuck Jones muscle bound lout. He's got the five o'clock shadow. He's huge. Real Mike right. Tyson's punch out stuff there. Head like a pumpkin mounted on his shoulders. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Mm. So this is a good little cartoon. It's another one that was nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> Seemingly uh, everyone is. <laughs> yeah. Like you'd, you'd have to screw up pretty bad to not be nominated in this era, apparently. Hmm. Anyway, that was a good little cartoon about learning things. Yeah, let's go on to. Yeah. A similar cartoon, possibly nominated for a Webby. I don't know. <laughs> It's from Strong Bad Emails. That's from a site called Homestar Runner. And this particular email is about hygiene. So some background. Homestar Runner, for anyone under 40, (laughs) it was a cartoon on the internet before there were many cartoons on the internet. Boy, how to describe this. (laughs) It's, It's just a bunch of loony individuals linked together. Ostensibly, like it's supposed to be about a character named Homestar Runner who is a terrific athlete. Yeah. Um, and his antagonist, Strong Bad, who is a short, shirtless man with a luchador mask and boxing gloves. Yeah, he was a, like when originally conceived, the brothers Strong, Strong Bad and Strong Mad were wrestlers. Oh, OK. Uh, anyway, one of the things about the site is that it morphed from having its focus be about the wacky happenings between these characters and instead worked under the premise that strong bad gets emails and he responds to them. And often there's a little sketch, uh, a little comedy sketch based around the email that he got. So in this case, his email is from a fifth grade boy named John who supposes that a better educational movie about hygiene could be made than the one he had to watch in school. I wonder if I wonder if Strong Bad could make a better uh, short film about hunger than the one I had to watch in school. <laughs> a better one. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it would be very nuanced. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be like about tater thoughts or something. You'd be uh, the king of town. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the uh, the luchador masked email recipient twists it to instead be a movie about John the emailer. So, after a 70s-style title screen, we're introduced to John, for whom a dirty, shabby version of Homestar Runner stands in. His clean-cut opposite, Gene, is strong bad, with a coiffed swoosh of blonde hair and a polo shirt. They're contrasted to each other. John is smelly and wears bad clothes. Gene's hot mom takes him out to buy, new, buy nice clothes. Uh, apart from the hygiene... There's a sort of classist commentary about Gene coming from a wealthy family. (laughs) 
while John can do nothing about his lot in life until he goes to out-of-state college and redefines himself, Gene must carefully avoid embarrassments like lice or peeing his pants, lest he become a pariah to the mean fifth-grade cliques. And then, in this era, Strong Bad used an archaic laptop. That's one of the running jokes, is that he's always way behind technologically. Yeah. But he advances forward, so now he's up to, like, one of the original style of laptops. And at the end of Strong Bad emails, it's customary for a sheet to come down from the printer uh, with a link to sending him an email. Uh, it, originally, it was a dot matrix printer that made that sound effect. In this case, it's an inkjet printer. And in this particular cartoon, on it is a calibration test sheet of all the colors. All right, so that's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So strong bad emails. These were huge. Again, if you're young, I'm going to impress to you just how big these things were. Like, if you were to float a quote from Homestar Runner, you will inspire somebody over the age of forty to join in with you. It's almost Simpsons like for a very specific age group. Right. Maybe even thirties. Mm. I'm not sure. Um. If you've heard of Trogdor. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird, right? That this is sort of a flash in the pan, but man, what an influence. Mm-hmm. So this particular cartoon, there's lots of funny stuff. Like funny stuff in the language of... of there's, there's one thing that I don't think is a gag. It probably is. We're, it's just a uh, strong bad smile. <laughs> it, it cracks me up whenever I see it. His like immobile frozen smile. Yeah, his um, his character design is just this little pink tr- like rectangle for a mouth. Yes, that kind of moves a little bit as he talks, but like seeing it curved into a smile, yeah, yeah, he's kind of like a muppet, right? Like his eyes are just green orbs all the time, mm. with a brow formed by the like luchador V on it. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm pretty infantile. I also liked uh, the sloppy Homestar <laughs> blowing his nose on the detached. Oh, I love star that. Shirt. That was and, so good. Yeah, and then the squishy sound when it goes back on his chest. Well, I like the fact that you can see his tongue. Like, he's not just blowing his nose. He's doing a raspberry, like, ah. (laughs) 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 No, you're right. That is a, it's a small thing, but it's a really noteworthy thing. A really good gag. Yeah, yeah. You know, I say that uh, young people might not be familiar with this, but they probably are familiar with Matt Chapman and to a degree Mike Chapman. Mm-hmm. Not the people, but they've continued to work in, in quotes, the professional cartoon industry. They've done stuff on shows like Yo Gabba Gabba and Gravity Falls and Wander Over Yonder. Amphibia. Oh, yeah. There's a character in Amphibia who is voiced. Uh, it's. Um, it, it, I don't, I don't know how much of Amphibia you've watched, but there was like a, this, like, it was like this swashbuckling Spaniard frog who was teaching mm. them how to use swords. And I was watching it like, it would be funny if it was like, I can't remember who does the voices, Matt or Matt, like, Matt does the voices. Yeah. I was thinking it would be funny if this was Matt Chapman, just tweaking the strong bad voice slightly for this. And Hey, guess what? The credits showed Ah, probably also as a writer on it, I imagine. Oh, I yeah, probably. Apparently that's pretty common now. Writers also being voice actors. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, one of the things you miss out on this cartoon, and, and, and in fact, that's the way you'll get to see most of these strong bad emails now as like a video. Um, so these were flash animations. And flash animations were sort of part game, part cartoon, or at least had the potential to be. Yeah, there was an interactive element to it. Yes. So you could find Easter eggs in Homestar Runner cartoons. Uh, in this case, they're all just at the end. They're just uh, the, the end shot is uh, a bookend of uh, Strong Bad typing his answer to John's email. And then there are words that you could have clicked to have gotten some Easter eggs from this. So in this case, one is him having a conversation with a kooky character from the lore called Coach Z about hygiene and showers, <laughs> which is funny because Coach Z doesn't know much about showers, but his introduction was all about showers. Yeah, despite living in a locker room. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of them was a picture of a recently deceased cat of one of the creators. Mm. And another one was a comic book cover. At one point, one of the gags is about uh, John slash Homestar Runner's terrible mouth and all the odors <laughs> in it. And at one point, home, from Homestar Runner's mouth, a moth flies out. Yeah. So Strong Bad calls John Moth Mouth at the end. And one of the Easter eggs is a Marvel Comics style comic book cover with the villain Moth Mouth shooting down at, oh, shoot, I can't remember what the name of uh, Strong Bad's figurine mode is strong, called. Strong Bad Man. Strong Bad Man, yeah. A Strong Bad Man. Yeah. The writing in the, the, the brothers chaps who make these home starter cartoons, they are some of the best cartoon comedy writers you will ever see. Like, there's mm. a reason why so many people our age could quote so much Homestar Runner because so much of it is so funny and so memorable and done like they do stuff nobody else would think of because it's just these two guys just, right. just brainstorming each with each other about what to talk about. And like they come up with the the best stuff. It's amazing. Well, in th those days with no stakes, I mean, this was just their project by which they could sell T-shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they like, could say anything. I was thinking today about, because they've remade their website for the post-Flash era. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was, there was a cartoon they made when it was first announced that Flash was going away. Um, mm -hmm. About how Flash was dying and like Strong Bad was panicking about it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's like, we have enough supplies to last until we learn HTML5. And Homestar goes, oh, I know what that stands for hypertext markup lotion and he pulls out this little bottle of lotion with an html5 logo on it mm -hmm. and he's like let me poop you out a little bit and he mm -hmm. squeezes it and makes a <laughs> sound as he does yeah. but just the like who would think of hypertext like he's he's three of the four words were correct right and then he got to mark up lotion like that's so funny how do you do right, that right. or even you know, this one like the like the the brilliance simplicity of like where it's like the fact that the guy's name was John is like this is John hi John and then right. this is Gene hi Gene mm. that is so clever how did I, they do that it's amazing you know what I said that you could that people could still feel their influence in the cartoon industry mm. but forget the ones they work on I think probably every comedy cartoon has its influence. 
like because the people making these are people that are in their 30s and 40s now so yeah 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 i mean i've I've always said that adventure time has the best dialogue in television and i wouldn't be surprised if pendleton ward watched a lot of homestar runner hmm yeah yeah it's really good good. yeah a nice revisit for me and they still do make cartoons sometimes like strong bad has a twitter account um Hmm. they they will usually make a Halloween cartoon every year and hmm. occasionally they'll make a Christmas cartoon or as they call it, December ween, which is also hilarious. Hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and they are, they've just revamped their website, homestarrunner.com. They're still um, uploading all the cartoons to YouTube. So it is very possible to continue to watch uh, Homestar Runner today. It's very easy to just keep watching them, too. Yeah, yeah. Just keep consuming one after another. Because they're so short. Like, yeah, like, none of them are very long. Like, I don't think any of them hit 10 minutes. Hmm. Good stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we're, uh, we've got a spiritual successor, in a sense, to this. So, yeah, Homestar Runner was kind of the, one of the initial... You know, people were doing little funny animations online for a while, but strong uh, like Homestar Runner was one of the first times that people really like made a show on mm. the Internet. And now anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. For example, a 20 something uh, Filipino lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a Toon C, which is T-O-O-N-C-E-E on YouTube. And this particular one that you gave me is... Uh, called, what was it, Weird Things My Parents Did to Me? Correct. Yeah. Um, what Toonsie does is she just animates stories about her life. And the thing is, because this is a going concern, like she is still making them, this is her livelihood. This is, this is what she does. Mm. And because of that, I am not going to sit here and just recite the plot of this cartoon. I think that would be kind of crass when I could just tell you to go and support her directly by watching her YouTube channel, which is Toonsie. And you can find this cartoon for yourself. I will tell you shorthand. This is basically just a little list of the weird things that her family did, mostly her parents, that she didn't realize were not normal family things until she went to other places and saw other families not doing them or doing things Mm. differently. Like turning off the internet at night. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, So like I said, I won't go into the details of it. I will say that it's very relatable. Like I'm, yeah, I, even now, even today, there's, I, for me, it's words and I don't know why I have this hang up, but there are certain words that are just so you don't hear them very much. And so I often wonder like, does everybody use this word or is it just my family? And then I'll look and and I'll I'll need like verification from other places that it's a word that other people use. I tweeted about this a while ago. I should have looked up what because there was a specific word that I was like, does everybody use this word or is it just my family? What about from this? Um, I don't know if there's anything specific in here that. Well, it it just feels like there's 
there's obviously there's that little adjustment that you're talking about somebody who grew up in the Philippines and still yes. lives there. I yeah. Think, but, um, well, but, her, but, on YouTube, her location is listed as United States, so I'm not, oh, sh- I'm not sure, but ah. it, she at least spent a good chunk of her life in the Philippines. Yeah, but you're, you, this doesn't seem alien at all. Everything feels... <laughs> you could imagine how someone could do this, yes. Like, even if, you know, even if my family didn't have a rule about everybody gets one piece of chicken. Right. Like, you can understand how a young person could, oh gosh, I should have brainstormed some examples. Yeah. My favorite thing in this one was about how everyone in her family just wore like an oversized white shirt and underwear (laughs) in the house. That is weird. (laughs) And when some, when somebody comes to the door, they had to run like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that seems like, it's like one of my favorite things in the Simpsons when they come home from church and Bart's immediately down to his underwear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like her t- telling this to her friend and uh, says, and her friend says, should you just walk around in your underwear? And she says, <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> like when she realizes that it's weird. <laughs> she does a really good job of like drawing these stories out and finding the comedy in them and finding a funny way to animate them. I watched yeah. other Toon C cartoons as well. Like once I watched yeah. this, I started digging into other ones. Uh, there's yeah. a good one called uh, The Time I Showed My Butt to the World. Ah, at first I intended to give this one to you, but you know, I didn't want to have its plot spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, like it's what happens is very simple, but the fact mm. that she draws it out for nine minutes before yeah. the big reveal is very well done. Like I'm if I thought about it really hard, I bet I could come up with stories of weird stuff that happened in my life. But it, it takes such skill to be able oh. to tell it in a a story like that, that like is so engaging and so funny for yeah. for that amount of time, like a seven or nine minute cartoon like that. Well, talk about pers- perseverance too. She puts these out almost once a month mm. and she's the only one who works on them apparently. Yeah. Like, granted, these are cartoons that are like maybe Toon Boom kind of rigging, right? Where sometimes it's just like, she's already got the assets. She's already got the animations. She can just reuse them or whatever. But yeah. still like- in the span of a month, thinking about the one example where she's sitting like royalty on her throne of like an egg egg themed throne room. Yeah. She had to make that, right? That wasn't an asset she had before. That was something I was thinking about. Like, remember Charging Man Ken? Yes. When we were saying like the animators had such a small budget that they kind of gave up on the idea of possibly making it good and you can see there's like no sound there's limited (laughs) animation and stuff and the amount of money they had to work with i can't remember exactly what i said it was i could probably but it was like but well hang on i'm gonna look it up right now pause for editing here so the budget for an episode of charge man ken was five hundred thousand yen in the 70s which works out to about five thousand dollars in 1973 and in with inflation Oh, I can see here. It says I'm looking on Wikipedia. It says the average budget for 30 minute anime was about four to five million yen. Mm. And so you divide that by about a hundred. So that's like what? Uh, An eighth like, like of the 50, budget. $50,000 yeah. in 1973. So that's probably close to a hundred thousand dollars or so now. Mm-hmm. So and well, I mean, that's 30 minutes, but this is shorter. So say 
you know, say it's something like 50,000 American dollars in today's money to produce mm. a short Charging Man Ken cartoon and they couldn't do it. And here, I, will, I, I will defend them. They probably had like less time to make them. They, well, they probably had like 10 days to make Charging Man mm-hmm. cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, here you have this 20 something woman in the Philippines or in America now, but at least had been yeah. in the Philippines who has an iPad, a Wacom tablet and a microphone. And mm. she's making cartoons light years beyond charge man Ken. And that's just, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that just tells you like, that's what I said at the beginning that any, and I don't mean to call her a schlub, but like no. anybody like we're making a podcast. Yeah. Anybody it's, who has it's almost archaic, <laughs> anybody who has the talent, like the, the drawing skills can just get the equipment at a relatively low. I mean, you can get all the equipment required here for less than one episode of charge man. Ken would cost yeah. and make something like so professional. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the real story here is, I mean, she is very talented. These are very good cartoons that are definitely worth watching YouTube, go to YouTube. The, the channel is called Toon definitely worth watching. But the real story is, and this ties in with Homestar Runner is how, the technology has progressed so that there is very little barrier to somebody who has the talent making something like this, making like a super high quality cartoon. You know, one of the weird things about that is it means that some old things don't age well, like old things where the idea is that they're supposed to be kind of ragtag. They're supposed to be kind of cheap productions. Mm. Now they have uh, literally thousands of comparisons to be made, right? Like everybody who uses TikTok has the ability to edit together a quick sketch comedy. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. It is an age of user content. I sometimes think about the like 3000 hours I put into the binding of Isaac and thought, man, why didn't I stream all that? (laughs) But yeah, so that's the real story here is like, like there's a whole world of animators out there. And there's very little barrier keeping and they do like there's you look on YouTube, there's all kinds of animators who just, you know, just take little yeah. like a, a bit of a podcast and just, oh, here's my favorite two minutes from this podcast and I'm going to animate it and make it funny. This stands out, though. This is a kind oh, of yeah. Love, like, oh, yeah. games. Game Grumps animated. Whoa, it's way better. <laughs> no, you're um, right. Like this is th- like she's so talented. This is really good stuff. It's it's less weird than the th- stuff of Homestar Runner, where like you know the characters of Homestar Runner in the setting are pretty weird. In this case, it's like an animal world, except for her and her boyfriend Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of weird that her sisters are animals and her parents are animals, and she's like maybe a human, or she- <laughs> maybe she's a Mister Peanut. I don't know. She looks a lot like I I pointed this out to you last week. She looks a lot yeah. like Cadebra from that. Yes. Uh, like I showed you the picture afterwards. <laughs> oh yeah. Because, because sometimes just to make sure Matsy's not aware of what I'm recommending to him, that I'll send him a picture of something that he can't immediately identify. Right. Yeah. So yeah. My, in this case, I, I yeah, I showed Toonsy's face and, and he had to th- probably had to think like, well, have I seen this? Uh, well, I <laughs> took, I, I, I immediately knew that it wasn't Kadebra Cause like yeah. it doesn't, cause Kadebra doesn't have like the bottoms of her eyes are not outlined. Mm. but everything else about it was so close that I was like, Mm. 
it I took a second. It's like, I don't recognize this, but boy, do I have a story to tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Huh. Um, so, yeah. Um, users on the Internet are making tremendous cartoons. And this is a good one to check out. Toon C on YouTube. T-O-O-N-C-E-E. Definitely recommend it. I'm definitely going to watch some more of it. Cool, cool. A lot of binging to do. Homestar Runner, Toon C. <laughs> and if you're if you're so inclined, NFB shorts. And well, that's why you watch the show, right? Or listen to the show. Yeah. As for me, I'm going to go watch the Steven Universe movie. Oh, but wait. Cool. Maybe there's other movies I could watch. Oh, man. Mr. Callback, Mr. Segway. <laughs> um, yes. So. Uh, for assignments, usually we swap cartoons that we want each other to watch. But generally, when we have a movie we want to watch, we just pick one movie. Yep. In this case, it's going to be Animal Treasure Island. <laughs> That's a dub of an old anime. We're both coming in fresh on this one. I'm relatively fresh. This, I kind of just... I've, there are like compilations of cool animated segments, and I kept on seeing bits from this movie. Hence, I want to see this crazy stuff. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Yeah, I will uh, look forward to watching this. I'm curious about how this is going to go. Before we get to that wild card, in the meanwhile, let us know what all of you think of the show. And we're open to suggestions you have about what you want us to watch. You can find me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. And I am AC Matsy on Twitter. And so until next time... Everybody generate that user-generated content that we all love and start with the Celery Stalker slogan. Don't you worry none about your rent, Miss Wallace, ma'am. The money for the mortgage has gone through. <laughs> mm.